Do you see these stack of cards? What are they? A couple of months ago, when uh, this transition began, we asked if, if we as a congregation would commit to praying individually 15 minutes a day for the, the duration of the transition. And 128 of you signed up to pray 15 minutes a day for the transition. That's 32 hours a day of prayer that went up for Evangel Temple. Carolyn reminded me of that this morning, and I thought, oh, that's key. We've had a good transition. And why is that? Well, it's because of the Lord and what he's done. But it's also because of you and your commitment to pray. Think about that. 32 hours of prayer going up for Evangel Temple every day during the transition. And God has been faithful, and he's been with us. And so here we are today, uh, looking at uh, a new part of the journey for Evangel Temple that's going to be very exciting. It'll be different than anything we've experienced, but it's going to be good because Christ is the head, and he has good things in mind for his church and I believe that Evangel Temple is going to experience those things. Well, um, we need to look at some scripture today. So if you happen to have a Bible or a device with you, turn to Genesis chapter 11. We'll also have the scripture on the screen, and you'll be able to follow along there. Okay, let's read together. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Shinar would be equivalent to Babylon or the area of Babylon. So just keep that in mind as, you're, as we're reading through this. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. The reason they didn't use stone, which would have been common for that period of time, was because there was no stone in that part of the world. That was an area that had, uh, the, the area had been, uh, silt had come in through flood and through rivers and water. And so they had, uh, they had material to make bricks, but there were no stones. And they said to one another, I guess I already read that. Let's go to verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let's talk about that verse for just a minute. We'll back up one verse to four. So, it sounds pretty innocent, doesn't it? I mean, that's a natural desire of people as they move about to uh, build a city, build a place of refuge for families and so forth. And um, we would think nothing of that if um, there weren't some verses that came along a little bit later that gave us a clue that God wasn't totally pleased with what was happening here. So let's read about God's displeasure, and then we're going to come back to this verse. Let's read verse 5. I heard some of you reading out loud, and I really like that. Would, would we all read out loud? Let's do that. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. Verse 6. 
And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So God was displeased with this group of people, and he, the way he dealt with them was to confuse their language. Up to that point, they could understand one another. They had one language, but at this point, he said no more of that. And he, he confused their language, and they were unable to communicate with one another. And so the point of being together and creating a city was no longer a valid point for them, and they dispersed, and they went throughout the earth. Okay. I don't know if you remember, back in the very beginning, when God created um, Adam and Eve, he's, he gave them a command after he created them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. And what else did he say? Fill the earth and fill the earth. Hmm. After the flood, when Noah and his family came off the boat, and they were the only ones, really, to begin the work of filling the earth, he said something similar, and we have it on our screen. Genesis 9-1, and it says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There we have it again. God's intent was never for mankind just to gather together into a little enclave and remain there. He intended for this earth to be filled. And there's something in us that wants to go to, an, uh, to a remote area that's never been lived in before and build a place for us to live in. We lived in Montana for 30 years, and a lot of people had that dream. They thought, I'm going to go to Montana. We're going to move up in the mountains and build a place. And most people didn't last beyond one winter up there. But um, the desire was there. There's something in us that wants to do that. I'm, I'm looking back there at Robert and Carol, and they've got this desire to be in mountainous areas and, uh, and build a place. And so that, that desire was put in mankind because God wanted his earth to be filled. He intended for mankind to be the managers of his creation. And evidently, this group of people, let's go back to Genesis eleven four, and we'll leave that up for just a few minutes so we can talk about it. Evidently, this group of people um, had several things in mind. They had pride in their hearts, didn't they? They said, we want to make a name for ourselves. So they wanted to be 
known or to be powerful. And uh, that was part of their motivation for wanting to stay in one place. And they also, if I can say it, had a rebellious streak. They basically rejected God's command to fill the earth. And they said, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They viewed God's command as something negative. And so they were doing the exact opposite of what God had commanded them to do. So their unity was based on pride and it was based on rebellion against God. And God recognized that unity has power. There's power in unity just by itself. And he looked down and he said, if if we allow this to go on, there's no end to what they will do. He was thinking, no end to the rebellion that they will seed if they're allowed to just continue in their rebellion. And so he confused their languages and they had to disperse over the earth. And they had to do what God had commanded them to do. So you see it every day. You see unity being used in various ways. I think one of the most common ways that I think of unity is of a sports team, uh, such as a basketball team. I watched a a clip the other day of, um, I I believe it was the LA Lakers and LeBron James. And he was, one of his teammates was driving down the court about to make a basket. And there was a man that was just a little bit ahead of him and he could have prevented the basket, but who was coming up on his right but LeBron James? And as this team player was about to throw the shot into the basket, he did a little backflip to LeBron. And LeBron got the ball and slam dunked it. And I thought, unity, unity, for the sake of, I guess, money and fame and making the fans happy. We see it all the time, and that's innocent. What can unity be when it's under the control of God? What can unity do when God is at the center of it, when Jesus is at the center of it? Scripture is full of it. And uh, I would love to spend um, minutes and time today talking about some of the examples, but I think we'll limit it to just a few. To do that, though, we need to look at a passage in the New Testament that is key to all of this. Let's go to John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. On the night before Jesus was betrayed and went to the cross, the night that he was betrayed, rather, the day before he went to the cross, he prayed. And evidently the Apostle John either heard him pray or he talked to someone who heard him pray that night. And this is among the words that he spoke, Jesus spoke that night. First of all, he prayed for his disciples. And one of the things that he prayed for them was that they would be one. I don't know about you, we've got three kids, and uh, they live all over the country, 
they came together at Christmas this year. It was a, one of the greatest years for us. And do you know what I mean when you get all your kids together? It's just really neat, it, at least now. It is for us. Um, there were times when we didn't think that. Uh, but one of the things we find ourselves praying for our kids is, God, help them to, help them to love each other. Help them to want to get together. Help them to want to connect with each other. We, we, we hope that and we pray that for our kids. And Jesus was no exception. As he was thinking about him leaving, he said, I pray for these these 12 that have gone with me, Lord, help them to be one. And then he prayed for us, you and me. And here's what he said. I do not, not ask for these only, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. How do I see us in that? How many of you have read the Gospel of John or Matthew, or Mark, raise your hand. You've read parts of it, okay. So Mark, though he was not a disciple, many people feel that he pretty much um, wrote down the preaching of Peter. And so when you read Mark, you're, you're reading the preaching of Peter. And so um, Peter, John, and Matthew were all disciples of the Lord. And as we read their words, in a sense, those words were what helped bring us to Christ. I know that John and the things that he said were used in, in my coming to Christ and maybe in yours as well. So many of us have believed because of the things these men wrote. But in another sense, let's say Matthew witnessed to a man named Simeon and Simeon came to know Christ, and then Simeon led George to Christ, and George led Ray to Christ, and on and on for thousands of years, and then somebody led my dad to Christ, and my dad led me to Jesus. And it was all because of them. So we're here today as a result of their witness. And Jesus prayed that those of us who would come to faith through them would be one. Would be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Let's go back to verse 20 for a minute. So who did Jesus want to be one? Look in verse 20. Who did he want to be one? Those who would believe in him through their word. Those who would believe in him. Did, did he say those who would believe in him that were also Green Bay Packer fans? I, I say that for the two of us in the room who are Green Bay Packer fans this morning. Um, no. He said, those who will believe in him. Oh, he probably meant those who will believe in him, believe in me, who also um, like the same style of music. Would that be it? He didn't say that. Maybe it's racial. Those who believe in me who are of the same race. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me who also have the same educational level. Bachelors, at least. Masters, preferable. PhD, yes. It seems like Jesus expected and prayed for unity for everyone who would believe in him. So the only basis for Jesus' prayer and his hope was for believers. Do you have some friends that are, um, they belong to another denomination? They don't believe exactly like we do, but they love Jesus? Know any people like that? I know a lot of people like that. Does God want us to be one with them? Yes. They believe in in him. So faith in Jesus is our basis for unity. And anything else is clouding the issue. Our unity is in Christ. And he prayed for it. Do you think he's going to get, the, get his prayer answered? Do you think Jesus will get his prayer answered? Sometimes we wonder down here, don't we? When uh, we see believers that are not in unity. But let me show you a passage because I think his prayer is going to be answered. Look at this. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. This is a future look, but... Jesus' prayer is going to be answered. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Jesus' prayer is going to be answered. We're going to be part of that group. And we're going to be around the throne. And by the way, what style of music will they use in that worship song? It'll be the style that that you grew up with or that you think is best, right? If you grew up on country, it's going to be country. If you grew up on classical, it's going to be classical. If you grew up on contemporary, it's going to be contemporary. You know what? It is not going to matter because the main thing is going to be Jesus. And what should be the main thing now? It should be Jesus, right? 
we have a beautiful opportunity to um, walk into something new right now as a church, and I'm excited about it. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm excited because I believe God is in this thing. And he's asking us as a church, he, he prayed for us actually before he was crucified and he said, Lord, let them be one. Just like you and I are one, let them be one so that the world may know that you sent me. So by our unity, as we move forward into this new era, we can be a testimony to the world that Jesus is real. I don't think, I think most of us have read some in the book of Acts. We, we know what happened after Jesus left this earth. And that was an amazing time in the life of the church. You think about the day of Pentecost. Uh, the day of Pentecost is a lot like the Tower of Babel. They're both language events. In one case, man's sin had caused there to be a dispersion and a, a confusion of language. And in the other case, man seeking after God had caused there to be a supernatural uh, occurrence of language that drew people together and gave them power to do God's work. And so here you have all these Jews that were for, in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and they spoke many different languages. And through this miracle that God performed, they were able, able to understand God's heart as people who didn't know these languages were speaking them and speaking the praises of God that people could hear and understand. Well, that just propelled uh, so much. You think about the, the people that came from all those countries and they were in Jerusalem and they didn't speak the same language and yet they were hanging around to listen to the disciples' instruction and they, they had to work it out. They had to work out differences and they, they didn't seem to let those differences get in the way of them being unified. They were sharing uh, food and they were sharing lodging and money and support with one another so they could gather and learn about Jesus and grow together as a body. And, and the, the body of Christ grew. And then they began reaching out to Gentiles. And Gentiles were non-Jews. And think about the difference in that day between a Jew and a Gentile and the kind of things they had to overcome to be one and to be united as believers. They were incredible. A Jew, um, you know, they had hundreds of laws that they were keeping day after day. They had many things that they were focused in on, regulations. The Gentiles had none of those. In fact, they were encouraged to do some of the very things that the Jews were forbidden to do. How would you make a church out of those two groups? And yet Paul could say in Ephesians that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but they're all one in Christ. And, and God is saying the same thing to us today here at ET. Whatever it is that divides us, if it's not sin, 
If it's just a difference in the way we're raised or a difference in the way that we do life, don't let that separate us. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that believers would be one. Believers that have a different political persuasion. Believers that feel differently about the vaccine. Believers that have different musical tastes. He intended for us to be one. And when we do that, his power is released in an amazing way. Because people can look on and say, oh, that's not natural. God has to be at work there for that to be happening. Because that would never happen in any other way. And they're right. When there's unity, there's a recognition that God is in their midst and that something special is going on. Wouldn't you love it if the only thing that floated our boat was Jesus? If the thing we would look for in other people was Jesus? And so what that you drive a Buick and I drive a Ford? You love Jesus. And on and on. That's the main thing. And if we looked at non-believers as pre-believers rather than people that we forever have to stay away from, they're just pre-believers. They're people that have not yet become believers. But we have hopes because Jesus died for all. And so Jesus becomes the center of this church. He becomes the center of our lives. And our unity is based in him. And we go forward, and the world looks on, and they say, that's amazing. That would never happen apart from God. And it wouldn't, and it won't. And so we need God. That's why we prayed. We prayed that God would be among us during the transition. And thank you for your part in that. Now we need to pray as we go beyond the transition that God would be among us and do great and mighty things. I'd like to ask you to, to do something that we've done for the last few weeks um, as we close the service this morning. And that is, I'd like to, in just a minute, I'd like to invite you to come to the front of the church and pray for just a few minutes before we leave today. I think there's real power and unity in coming close together and we're not going to be so close that we spread germs, but come and be close together and feel that unity of lifting our hearts to God and asking him for the next leg of the journey, that he'll be among us, that he'll help us to lay aside things that are non-essential and to make our unity based on Jesus. Jesus prayed only that those who believe in me through them, would be one. He didn't say, those that believe in me that do this and this and this, or those that believe in me that have this or this. He said, those that believe in me, let our basis for unity be Jesus alone. Hallelujah. Harold, lead us in that song. And uh, as Harold is leading us, I'd like to invite you to stand. And let's just do that right now. And we're going to have just a short time of prayer. If you've not been here before when we've done this, we'll pray for maybe five minutes together. 
and then uh, we'll have a closing prayer and we'll, we'll end the service uh, together. Uh, and, uh, but come if you can. If, you, if you're not able to stand and you want to sit in some of the front pews, that would be fine. But let's come together and pray together this morning.